Good morning, Grant. It's great to see you today. This is Pastor Rob. I wanted to start our first series, our next series, by asking you a question. How do you like to eat pizza? And, and I'm not even going to get into what kind of crust. Should it be thin crust or thick crust? I'm not going to get into what kind of toppings should be on it. Are you a meat lover's person? Is pineapple on your pizza an abomination or a beautiful thing? Not even going there. Just let's assume you've got the pizza you want. What is the right way to eat it? Is it cut in slices or cut in squares? If you could put that in the comments section below, if you're listening live right now or online, that'd be great. Slices or squares? If it's not slices or squares, once we got that figured out, let's talk about this. Do you eat it in your hand? Do you hold it? Or do you use a knife and fork? And, and if you're going to hold it, do you eat it flat? Do you eat the crust first? Do you fold it in half and eat it that way? How do you eat? What's the right way to eat a pizza? Now, got it? Got your numbers in or your answers in? The truth is, secret time, there isn't a right or wrong way to eat a pizza. And some of us are saying to ourselves, well, yeah, just eat it. It's pizza. It doesn't matter what shape it comes in. It doesn't matter if you use a fork and a knife. It doesn't matter if you have the freedom to do it any way we want. It's pizza. Eat it. But some of us have some pretty strong feelings about it, right? No, 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 no. You've got to use a fork and knife because you don't want to make a mess. I definitely like squares better because it is, it is easier to handle and easier to eat, maybe eat less, right? Or easier to split up amongst others if you've used it for a party. There's lots of different reasons we would give for having those beliefs or those opinions on, on how we should eat something like pizza. I wouldn't go so far as to call our opinions on those things passions or convictions, although for some, for some I can see them getting pretty passionate about how you should or should not use a fork for your pizza. At the end of the day, those aren't on the same level as what I would call a conviction, right? It's just a just an opinion, just a thought, just a, a personal preference. But there are things in life that we do have convictions about. Um, with the election getting closer, right? There are some pretty strong convictions that, that some of us have on whether or not you should vote Republican or Democrat or other, right? Um, we seem to have strong convictions around those things. And, and I know that because if you look at the landscape, it creates a strong series of arguments. Regardless of which, which side you're on when it comes to, to issues like Black Lives Matter, we have some pretty strong convictions, passionate convictions, what we feel about what is, what is right and wrong, what is good or bad, and, and the direction we should take because of that. There are even some things in life that we have convictions about, that we are passionate about, that aren't really about a global societal thing, but are really a, a matter of just basic sets of expectations. Let me give you an example. My, when we moved from Indiana uh, to Arkansas, my kids had to go through some changes, culturally speaking. And one of those changes was at school, the teachers expected their children to respond with yes sir and yes ma'am or 
no sir and no ma'am. And if you didn't, they were convicted that you were being disrespectful, that it was not an appropriate way to speak to someone in a position of authority, to speak to a teacher. On the other hand, up north, in, in, in Indianapolis at least, if you said yes ma'am or yes sir, that teacher was likely to say, that's my parent, <laughs> that's my mom, that's my dad, please don't call me that, call me Miss So-and-so. So the, the term was still there, but it was a different term. And what's remarkable about it is that they were very passionate about that. And they were passionate about it because of what it meant to them, what it conveyed to them. And so what we're going to talk about today, as in our series that we're beginning today called Together, Moving Together in Unity, is the nature of those types of convictions. Because there are different types of convictions. There are some that are indisputable. I hope that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ that you're indisputably convicted, right? That Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he came and died for our sins, and that, that he is the way, the truth, the life, and no one comes to God except through him. And that the only way, the only way to ensure that we spend all of eternity with God is to place our trust in Jesus, to be saved through him, right? I hope that's a conviction that is indisputable if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. But Paul today, in, in the book of Romans, as he's going to walk through some different matters rather than those indisputable ones, he's going to talk about disputable matters, those things that we are often convicted about that tend to cause difficulty or strife or disunity amongst the body of Christ. We're going to spend some time this week in Romans chapter 14, and then two weeks from now, we're going to spend some time in Romans chapter 15. In between, a gentleman named Andy Keck is going to come. He's from the Riverside Christian School in Lost Creek, Kentucky. It's a, a school that we've had a relationship with over the years uh, that does incredible work in this tiny little space in Kentucky, and that he wants to come and just talk about what's going on there. And I hope you'll tune in next week because he's got some amazing things to talk about. But this week, we're going to talk about being together in unity, and then we're going to leap forward into Romans 15 next week as we explore why it really matters and maybe, maybe recognize that it matters more to us than we even realize. This week, though, is, as I said, about convictions. It's about disputable matters and indisputable matters and how we handle those things within the body of Christ. And can I just tell you, um, this is something that the, the people of God have been challenged with for 2,000 years. In fact, I, I would argue before even the time of Christ, where arguments erupted, difficulties erupted, splits erupted, and continue to erupt over matters that in some ways are disputable ones, which, which means there is no clear right or wrong. They are strongly held convictions, and that's important for us to understand that those convictions do matter, but if we can't figure out, as the body of Christ, how to work through that, how to relate to one another when we have different convictions, because the truth is, if we really sat down and took a survey in any given church, we probably have some different convictions about some things. Maybe it's a conviction about uh, whether or not we should give money to the people on the side of the road. You know, some of us feel that um, 
were convicted that they're going to they're going to blow the money on something that they shouldn't, right? That there's an invariable that's going to go bad, and there's some of us that are convicted that we should, and and we should let God sort out the rest. Those are equal convictions that come from our history, they come from our past. But how do we how do we work through those together? How do we respect one another in the midst of those things? And if we can't figure that out, if a body of believers, whether it be Gretna or the Vineyard or a church near you or any group of people, if we can't figure out how to navigate conviction, different convictions together, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. And it's easy to let it go sideways because where convictions are involved, passions are involved. Emotions are involved. And attitudes are involved. But there's a greater call here, a greater call than our convictions, and that greater call is unity. So let's dive in to Romans chapter 14. As we're reading this, uh, I want us to keep something in mind. This, the timing of this is, is such that Paul is writing right after the Edict of Claudius, and the former emperor of Rome has ended because he has died. And the Edict of Claudius actually expelled all Jewish people from Rome. He essentially blamed them for everything that had gone wrong in Rome, in and around Rome. And he kicked them out for a period of several years. And during that time, the Jewish Christians, because they were obviously Jewish, we call them Messianic Jews today, uh, left. They were forced out of the church that they planted, the church that they made home, right? They were forced out and left. And the church continued. It continued in Rome under the, the leadership and the conviction of Gentile Christians. And because they came, the Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians come from very different backgrounds and very different worlds. They have very different perspectives on worshiping God, on what that looks like, what that feels like, what's important and what's not, what they should be convicted to and what they shouldn't. And as the Edict of Claudius is ending, the Jewish Christians are coming back. They're coming back to the church that they left. And what they have found is essentially this. It's different. It's different than it was before. And there's a challenge there because it's different. How do you manage those different sets of perspectives or ideas? And, and as a result, those different convictions about what should or should not be done and how something should or should not function. So let's read as, as Paul discusses these disputable matters, because remember, these are things that are debatable. Watch this. Romans chapter 14. We're going to read the whole chapter today. It's 23 verses, so we're going to do it in pieces. We're going to start with verses 1 through 3. It says, first this, welcome anyone who is weak in faith, but do not argue about disputed matters. There's those disputed matters. One person believes that he may eat anything, and one who is weak eats only vegetables. One who eats meat must not look down on the one who does not eat, and the one who does not eat must not judge one who does, because God has accepted him. You know, there are, as I said, indisputable matters, right? The lordship of Jesus Christ among the men and women here isn't in question. Those aren't things they're discussing or arguing about, but they are discussing those that can be debated. And, and Paul's 
pretty profound here. He, he, he calls those who are essentially feel convicted to not do certain things, to not have freedoms. He calls them weak in faith. And that's, that's a word that none of us want to hear. We don't want to hear the word weak, right? We mean we're weak, but, but here's the reality. We are all weak somewhere in our faith, in that. This, this weakness that Paul is describing is holding to convictions that are maybe stricter than necessary for the world as a whole, but maybe necessary for us. Let me give you an example. I know a, a number of, of Christians who adamantly oppose the consumption of alcohol, adamantly oppose it. And, and I would argue that that is a personal conviction. Because the, the scriptures, though they definitely warn against the abuse of alcohol, and definitely warn against being a drunk, and definitely warn against essentially making it or anything else in excess your idol, right? Making it of greater importance to you than God. It does not say that alcohol is inherently, in and of itself, an evil thing. It's not. But if you were raised in such a way that it's been treated as that, maybe you've, maybe you've been in a home where you grew up with an alcoholic and, and they did horrible things, it's likely that for you there's going to be a conviction there, a conviction that alcohol is bad for you. It isn't something that you should ever consume. And you know what? That's a conviction I respect in you. That's a, it's a wonderful thing to know where you stand. It's also important to know why you stand there. And that's not to be confused with a global conviction because the truth is, as I said, you know, even though the scriptures don't say that Jesus himself consumed alcohol, we can know from the scriptures that he turned water into wine for a celebration. We can know from the scriptures that his followers, his disciples, were often accused of eating with people who were eating and drinking. Tons of things that alcohol among them, right? We also can infer from the scriptures that there were times when, when others called his disciples drunk, even at Pentecost, right? They said, these guys have been drinking all day, right? So, so the notion there, is that it was clearly present around Jesus and around his disciples. He didn't shun it. He didn't run away from it. But, but the, did he consume it? I don't know. And if you're convicted not to consume alcohol because it could produce an evil in your life, that is a personal conviction that you hold and a powerful one that honestly you should hold too. But Paul would call that a weakness in our faith in this case. The, the, the notion that there are, are places that for our own protection we have to make sure that we hold on to. Maybe it's for our own safety. Maybe it's for our own personal conscience. Our conscience is driving us, and we'll get into that in a minute. A conscience is a powerful thing that maybe makes something a sin for me, but not a sin for somebody else. Because there are differences. The conscience here, as we'll, we'll get into, has a lot to do with determining whether or not something is something that we should or should not do. 
Paul goes so far in 2 Corinthians 12 to boast of this weakness, right? To say that, you know, when his weaknesses are revealed, it's the strength of God that is, that is uplifted. It's the strength of God that pulls him through. In Romans 14, in this passage that we're eating, the, or we're eating that we're reading, the, the weaknesses are there are a number of believers that eat, believe you cannot eat meat sacrificed to idols. That's one of them. We're going to get into days of the, of the week or the year. There are some that celebrate special days and some that don't. And we're going to get into alcohol, right? Is it something you should be drinking or not be drinking? And Paul's going to challenge people here. He's going to say something very, very simple. He's going to say, look, you're making this all about right and wrong. These disputable matters. That word is so important. Disputable means there is no right or wrong. There's, it's gray. It's a gray area. And his admonition here is, hey, um, there are things that you should argue about. Absolutely. But there are also a whole ton of things that really weren't, aren't worth arguing about. They're not about right or wrong. They're not about good or bad. And we get in trouble when we make them about that. Let's keep reading. Beginning in verse 4, it says, Who are you to judge another's household servant? Right? The one who is serving God. Before his, own, before his own Lord, he stands or falls. And he will stand because the Lord is able to make him stand. That's, remember, that's what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12, is that his weakness allows God's strength to uplift him, to pull him forward, to keep him strong, right? Verse 5, one person judges one day to be more important than another day. Someone else judges every day to be the same. Let each one be fully convinced in his own mind. There's that conscience thing, right? Again, it's not about whether or not which one's right or wrong. It's about what you're convicted of. Whoever observes the day observes it for the honor of the Lord. Whoever eats, eats for the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. And whoever does not eat, it is for the Lord that he does not eat it. And he gives thanks to God. For none of us lives for himself, and no one dies for himself. If we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. And therefore, whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. There's the... The solution there, right? Regardless of which side of the conviction you fall on, the question is, what are you doing it for? If you choose not to eat, are you doing it to honor God? If you're saying, I can eat this meat sacrificed to idols, then I'm doing it in such a way that it honors God. The, the goal is more important than the action. Keep that in mind. Verse 9. It says, Christ died and returned to life for this, that he might be Lord over both the dead and the living. Lord over both those who are eating the meat and those who are not in this case. Those who are celebrating certain days and those who are not in this case. But you, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you despise your brother or sister? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me, and every tongue will give praise to God. And so then each of us will give an account of himself to God. There's a notion here. We see that in verses 11 and 12. And way back as we started this passage in verse 
four, this notion that, that each of us will be accountable to God for or holding to the convictions that are driven by honoring him. And that truthfully should all give us a sigh of relief. Because one of the, the challenges that the Pharisees had was they, they really believed, and Jesus yelled at them over and over and over again, they really believed there was only one way to do certain things. You could not possibly see something differently. There were no disputable matters. And that's human nature, I think, to try to put everything in a, a right or wrong box, a black or white box. Is this good? Is it bad? I need to know so I know what I can and can't do, right? I'm trying to honor God. But the truth is there are many things that are less about what you're doing and more about why you're doing it. This role of personal conviction that we see in, in verses 5 and 6 demonstrates to us that God is more, important, more concerned with why we do something than how. 1 Samuel 16, 7 is my favorite verse about this. As Samuel is going to pick the next king, of Israel after King Saul. He is sitting at dinner with, with who will be David, David's father, Jesse. He's sitting at, at dinner, and Jesse is bringing by each of his sons, and his sons, some of them are strong and handsome and tall, and they, they look the part of a king, right? Remember that, that Saul, the king before David, the one that David's going to replace, he, he was a head taller than everybody else. So there's this notion of a big, tall, robust kind of kingly looking man. And, and Samuel, in the midst of this, says, look, 1 Samuel 16, 7, let me read this. He says, but the Lord said to Samuel, this is God talking to Samuel, don't look at his appearance and at his stature because I have rejected him. It's not about what you're seeing in front of you, right? He says, humans do not see what the Lord sees, for humans see what is visible. That's the how somebody is doing something. They're seeing the person or they're seeing the action they're taking, right? It says, but the Lord sees the heart. The Lord is more concerned with why we're choosing to do what we do than what we're doing. Does that mean he's unconcerned with what we're doing? No, <laughs> not at all the case. As I said before, where it doesn't say that the, the scriptures do not forbid the use of alcohol, the scriptures certainly indicate that it's a bad thing to be a drunk, right? So it's not a license to do whatever we want and say, I'm honoring God and all is good. God sets some limits, and, and he expects us to stay within those limits. He expects us to honor him in all that we do. And there are some things, you know, our conscience is pretty good at taking things, as the, is the case here, taking things that maybe inherently aren't sinful and making them sinful. That's what's going on here with the Jews who are returning. They're seeing things that are happening that are different. And they're saying, that's not right. That doesn't feel right. That doesn't look right. That's not the way we left it. That's not okay. That's got to be sinful. Well, it may be for them, but globally it's not. But there's a difference between that and saying, and my conscience saying, you know, if I really think about this really hard, if I really manipulate this or massage this enough, I can make just about anything be God-honoring or be not sinful. And guess what? That ain't true. 
That is just not true. There is no way to make cheating on your wife or cheating on your husband not sinful. It is. And there's no God-honoring way to rationalize that. So I, I want us to, to be clearly understood here. There are indisputable matters. There are things that are inherently and completely right or wrong, good or bad. And, and our job is to try, to try to discern from the Lord's Word and from His Spirit what those things are. And the truth is, if we're really honest with ourselves, the vast majority of those things aren't the things that people get in arguments over, aren't the things that divide the kingdom of God, that divide the family of God. What divides them are these disputable things. In this case, meat. In this case, special days. In this case, alcohol. And Paul takes this notion of what's going on in your heart, what you're thinking, why you're doing something you're doing, and he extends it from just simple physical things, like in 1 Samuel 16, the passage we just read, and extends it to convictions. You know, we have a, if you are live today, right after our church today, in person, on campus, we're having the church picnic. And can you imagine this church picnic where the, the people who eat meat are all sitting in one corner and the people who are vegan all sitting in another and them not talking to each other about anything? Can you, can you imagine that? And yet, that's what's going on here. They've chosen to make that something it's not. Maybe the person eating the meat is like, look, God raised this. I thank the Lord for God producing this, for God providing for this. And it is honestly delicious. And, I, and God is providing for me, and I'm going to eat it. And maybe the vegan is saying, look, you know, God has created this creature too, and I want to honor that creation. And, and as such, I can't eat meat. Both are trying to honor God, but both are at very different ends of the spectrum. And guess what? There's room in the kingdom of God for both perspectives. Why? Because both are focused on honoring him. Both convicted, not about right or wrong, both valid. Let's keep going. Because the problem here is that in, this, in, in Romans here is, is simple. It's that it's easy to have your own personal convictions when it's just you. It's hard to have your own personal convictions when they conflict with others and still be together and to be to live and worship together. And that's what we're talking about here. These are people that are living and worshiping together. They are next to each other. They all have passionate convictions and they're having difficulty keeping them in balance. Let's read. We're going to pick up in verse 13. I'm going to turn off my phone because it's ringing. My goodness. I'm going to mute it. Let me see. All right. Hi. <laughs> Let's pick up in verse 13. It says this, Therefore, let us no longer judge one another. Instead, decide to never put a stumbling block or a pitfall in the way of your brother or sister. I know and I am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in and of itself. Like, remember, alcohol is not inherently bad. Still, to someone who considers a thing to be unclean, to that one, it is unclean. There's that matter of conscience, that matter of conviction, and the matter of doing it something 
to honor God. Let's keep going. Verse 15, it says, If your brother or sister is hurt by what you eat, you are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy by, by what you eat someone who, who from Christ for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let your good be slandered. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever serves Christ in this way is acceptable to God and receives human approval. There's something interesting here, something that, that Paul demands from the people of God here in this passage. Remember, we talked about it. He's talked about the, the weak, right? And, and because he's talking about those who are weak in their faith, he's also talking by default or inferring about the strong, that there are those who are not weak. And can I just tell you something here? And this is the challenge, right? Because as Paul is describing, he's describing the, the ability to go ahead and do some of these things that some others, their conscience, their convictions, won't allow them to do, right? He's saying, no, it's, it's inherently, it's fine. There's nothing wrong with alcohol inherently. You can have a drink. There's nothing, in this case, there's nothing wrong with meat, right? You can eat it. But he's challenging the strong here. He's saying, look, you, you know, the weak, you have a job too here. If you're weak in your faith and you, your conviction is overriding what the scripture says, it's overriding what the Bible says, right? Because remember, again, back to the alcohol example, alcohol does not say, or the Bible does not say that alcohol is evil, period, inherently, never touch it, never go near it, never, right? It doesn't say that, yet some of us are convicted to treat it that way in our lives. Again, that's okay, but it's, it's, it's a weakness in our faith. Call it what it is. And it's okay to have those weaknesses because in that, God is shown strong. It's important that we understand those are okay. Because again, we hate that word weak, but it's okay. And he tells those who are weak, don't judge others who have that freedom, who believe they can do those things, even if your conscience, your convictions tell you you can't. Because both are different convictions designed to honor God, and guess what? Both are fine. But in this passage, he has strong words for the strong, for those who feel the freedom to not be bound by certain constraints that are beyond what the Bible calls for. He actually tells them they have a job here. That is their responsibility to go the extra mile for the sake of those who are weak. He says that in verse 13, he challenges them to honor, honor, not just tolerate or put up with, to honor others' convictions in disputable matters. Again, it's not about right or wrong or good or bad. He says, don't look down on them. Don't look down on them because they don't think they can get away with doing something differently. Don't look down on them or make them feel uncomfortable or lead them astray. Don't try to lead them astray and say to them, look, you need to change your convictions because your convictions are busted. If your convictions need to change, guess who's going to do that? The Holy Spirit is going to do that. Our job is to help each other pursue God. Our job is to lift one another up, and we'll get into that in a minute. Our job is not to try to manipulate others to see our side. 
And the truth is, when we're convicted about something, that can pretty quickly happen. It also, he also calls the strong here. Because again, most of this, most of what Paul asks of, most of, most of what he demands is from the people who are quote unquote strong. He says to, to recognize their motivations, right? So you're honoring their convictions and you're recognizing what their true motivations are. That's, that is, I think, so important to trying to understand why any of us do any of the things we do. When I was a, a young Christian, uh, we were attending a, a wonderful church and, and my, my son, and I didn't grow up in the church, and you know that story, I didn't really grow up in the church, and, and so I didn't know all the church songs and, and all the church background and all the, the little games that kids play and the songs they learn to remember scripture. I didn't know any of those things. And so my son, when he was in Sunday school, I wanted to go into Sunday school with him. I wanted to learn alongside him because I wanted to be able to go home and sing the same nursery rhymes or talk about the same lesson or do all the same thing. And... At the church we were attending, there was a, a, a young lady who was the teacher. And I went into the classroom and I sat down. And, and shortly after I, I sat down, class started, she walked, got up and walked out of the room. And she came back with my wife. And Heather gracefully uh, pulled me aside and said, hey, you need to leave the room. Because it was the teacher's conviction that she was not permitted to teach others in the presence of a man. Now, initially, my conviction was that that was the stupidest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> that was my, that, that's ridiculous, right? My conviction is no, if you have wisdom from God, God teaches us all to throw out that wisdom to one another, to help one another, help each other grow in that wisdom. It's crazy that I would be not allowed to, to listen to someone who knows the Lord better and has known him longer than me. What? That's crazy, regardless of what gender she is. And I was mad as a hornet. But over time, I've realized something. I, was, I realized that she came by her conviction honestly. And her desire in maintaining that conviction and holding fast to it was not about driving me crazy. It was not about trying to fly in the face of God. In fact, it was about honoring God, 100% about honoring God's desires. And she was convicted that this would be violent teaching with a man in the room, a baptized man in the room would violate her connection to God or her, her honoring of God. And can I just tell you what a beautiful thing that is, regardless of whether or not I, I agree. My agreement is not required. What's required is that we are all pursuing God, and my job is to honor that and to recognize the motivation behind it. He also challenges the people of God here to remember the big picture. To remember that this is, is not about food. This is not about special days. It's not about alcohol. And, in, 
And in modern context, it's not about politics. It's not about pizza. It's not about farm equipment because you know who you are, those who are passionate or convicted about green or red. If you live in our world, if you live in, in Logan County, are you green or are you red? There's some strong convictions. I had a friend of mine on a different note the other day um, say something rude about Fords, Ford cars. And I said, hey, now I have a Ford. And he says, well, then you, you, you definitely must be a praying man because you got to pray that it'll start. You got to pray that it'll get you to work. You got to pray that it'll get you home. And you got to pray that it won't just fall apart in the middle of the road. And, and it's funny to me. It's hilarious. I don't have any convictions about which car models are better than others. I happen to own a Ford and a Chevy, and I've owned a Honda and a Volkswagen and a Chrysler and all kinds of stuff over the years. I'm not convicted that one is better than the other, but there are some that would throw down over that. <laughs> they would flat throw down over that conviction. But Paul's saying it's not about that. None of what we're talking about, these disputable matters, because again, they're gray area. None of, the, none of this is worth the argument, really. It's not about those things. It's about people. And he's saying, remember, those of you who are strong in the faith, those of you who think you have freedoms or know you have freedoms to do things that others feel restricted from doing, know that it's really not about whether or not we get to do what we want to do or even about Doing what we're always what we're free to do. It's about remembering that we are here to love and serve others. And that honestly, their faith and their salvation is just as important as ours. And so that means abstain. That means even if we feel liberated from doing something for this for the sake of those who do not feel that way, we shouldn't. Uh, a brethren mantra for centuries has been this. In essentials, unity. There's that unity word, right? In non-essentials, liberty, right? In disputable matters, liberty. But in all things, charity. In all things, understanding comes first. Whether we think we can or think we can't, whether we think we should or we think we shouldn't, whether we're convicted or not convicted, or convicted at opposite ends of the spectrum, it is an incumbent upon us for the sake of unity, for the sake of peace, for the sake of love, in honoring God, it is, it is our call to recognize that and be at peace with it, even if it doesn't match what we are convicted is true. Indisputable matters. I hate to keep saying that, but it, there are lines, and I don't want to give you the impression there isn't, but there's a whole lot of things that are on the other side of the line. Let's keep going as he finishes up chapter 14. He says in verse 19, So then, let us pursue what promotes peace and what builds up one another. Do not, do not tear down, God, tear down God's work because of food. Everything is clean, but it is wrong to make someone fall by what he eats. Yeah, you can eat it, but please don't make them feel guilty if they're not, right? And, and, and if, if you're on the side of you can't eat it, or you can't do this thing, or you can't drink alcohol, or you can't, don't make others feel horrible because they believe they can. The question is, are they honoring God? 
And he goes so far as to say you will destroy the work that God is doing by treating others that way. Instead of pursuing peace. Instead of being charitable, right? And instead of building one another up. In verse 21 he says, It is a good thing not to eat meat. There, there you go. For those who are weak in their faith, it's a good thing not to eat meat or to drink wine, or do anything that makes your sister or brother stumble. Again, make sacrifices for the sake of those who hold convictions that may be stricter than what we believe, than what some of us who are stronger, quote-unquote, believe. Whatever you believe about these things, again, not right or wrong, whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God, tough one. <laughs> Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves, but whoever doubts stands condemned if he eats, because he is eating not from faith, and everything that is not from faith is sin. It goes right back to the why of honoring God. He challenges us to promote peace, right? Is this really a disputable matter or is this really something that we have to take a stand on? Because again, if I have to take a stand on something, I should, right? But if it's not, why do I let it drive me crazy? And why would I argue about it? He also says to build one another up. Our goal is to help one another pursue God. I say it often when we're meeting together for service. I say our goal here is twofold, to glorify God, right? To honor Him and to edify or strengthen one another. That's our goal. When we meet together, that, that, that unity, we need that. We need that. And that is the admonition that, that Paul is laying out here for his people, to build each other up in their pursuit of God and their growth in faith. Refrain from taking liberties that disrupt another's faith. If you're out with a friend that you know doesn't drink because they're convicted, it's not the thing to do, don't drink. Follow your conscience if it seeks to honor, honor God. Yes, I said follow your conscience. God gave us a conscience. It's part of what makes us human. It's part of the Imago Dei, that thing that's pecking at our brain going, you really shouldn't do that. If God is telling you, if your conscience is telling you not to do something, there's a reason. That deep down inside you know what that is. And the, the right choice is to do the one that honors God. Don't judge others whose convictions don't match yours. Because the truth is, we all come from different places. We all have different backgrounds and different perspectives. And yet we are all children of God. We are all pursuing Him. And though you may not match me and I may not match you and how we always do life together, if I love you, then my goal is to help you pursue Him. And I don't have to agree with you to do that. Remember that unity, unity, pulling together, which frankly 
was the greater call we started with, and frankly is the, the entire focus of this passage and the next one, is unity in the midst of difficulty, unity in the midst of disagreement, unity in the midst of challenge. I, I really believe this, this sermon, and I hate to talk about COVID because I talk about it every week, right? But COVID is blowing up people in the body of Christ all over the place as they fight over honestly disputable matters where both sets of convictions are valid. Both, sex, both convictions around what, whatever you believe, if you're in an extreme about masks or no masks or distancing or no distancing or open up or shut down or whatever it is, if you're convicted of it, you're convicted of it, I think, for a reason. If your conscience is telling you something, if your conscience is telling you that you need to be safe and you need to be safe not just for your sake but for the sake of your family, it's doing it for a reason. And my job is to honor that conviction. If you believe that all of these things are unnecessary, that this is a government conspiracy, that may be the case. And my goal is to honor that conviction. And the difficulty comes in if I'm in one end, how do I honor the other? And I guess, I guess the admonition is this. Forget about honoring the other and honor God. Honor God in how we respond to each other, how we treat each other, and how we love each other. Because this passage, and the one we're going to cover in a couple weeks, is all about that. It's all about honoring God, pulling for one another, helping each other get there, and remembering that He is the reason we are a family, and He is the reason for our salvation, and He is the reason for our hope and our peace, and He is our pursuit. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May His face shine upon you. May He grant you favor and give you peace. God bless.